when we answer to ourselves, we're usually pretty greedy about it. Mm. Um, and you don't mind if you have that extra drink. You don't mind if you roll the dice a few more times. You'll take chances that you otherwise wouldn't. But mm. if you answer to something beyond yourself, you have um, more accountability. Hey guys, welcome to the Potter Podcast. It's Tyler Dietring, and I'm here once again with Nick. Man, how are you doing? Man, I'm doing good. We uh, we had a little bit of rain, thunderstorms, some lightning last night. That was exciting. Uh, but it's Friday. It's a good day. But you know, I would really feel better if there was maybe not just one of me. That's weird. Yeah. Because it kind of is two of you. Right? We got another Nick here today. There are two Nicks in yes. the house. We got Nick Lombardi, managing broker of Frisbee Lombardi. And you know, this is a big time guest. We had to pay big bucks just to get him here today. <laughs> um, his Hourly rate is ridiculous, um, but it, it, yeah. And yeah. you know, for this podcast, we have two Nicks, so we're gonna have Burns, which is Nick Burns, and we're gonna have Lombardi. So we're gonna we're gonna be referring to them as Lombardi and Burns. And it, ar- it already feels weird. It feels yeah. weird calling him Lombardi because I have respect for the guy, and I don't want to call him by his last name, but he's he's consented to <laughs> that. Pretend you're my football. Coach. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Lombardi, how are you doing? I did well. How are you, man? I'm great. And Good. you know, you speak about football, Lombardi. It sounds like just a just an awesome football name like yeah sounds like you just got mud on your yeah. face you know and just are you a sports guy at all? I am. yeah so yeah. did you play in high school i quit by the time anything got important and i got just uh badgered by the football coach he's okay. a disgrace that a kid named lombardi and playing for that's me. right that's said, right well, sorry bud i just covered beer and girls and you know there's more yeah, i love it <laughs> and knowing you it's like i could imagine you you hung up the pads and you went out and you got yourself a suit. You slicked back the hair and you started working real estate at age 16. I had uh, curly hair. Um, I was a little bit of a hippie. Okay. Um, listened to a lot of Grateful Dead. Awesome. Um, got a job, was working, had had money. Yeah. Uh, hitting on the football players' girlfriends while they were out. There you field, go. You know, so, it was... <laughs> you know, this is a great segue. Let's just talk about early on. So you say you got a job early on. What what type of job was that? And what was kind of your the first job that I had was mowing my dad's properties awesome. that he represented. So yeah. I was about 14 years old, loaded up to the lawnmower in the car, did that. Um, and then I worked at a restaurant. I worked as a tailor, worked at a record shop. A tailor. Yeah. So Interesting. I uh, worked for Bechera's in uh, Tulsa. Okay. Landmarks. So. Yeah. Um, did tuxedos for weddings and did a little bit of sewing and altering. Um, and then my, my favorite job was working at a pawn shop in college. Um, that's cool. You learn the value of things. Um, you learn to watch people who they spend all their money on a new TV and they bring it in and it's worth 200 bucks and they can't understand why. Yeah. Um, and you know, learning, I became a gemologist. So understanding the gemstones, jewelry, gold, silver, all yeah. that fun stuff. So yeah, that, that was my favorite job I ever had. Interesting, interesting. Cause you're a big watch guy too. Yeah. And so this, and you're always wearing nice clothes. You always, you're always well-dressed. So <laughs> it kind of makes sense. You're filling in some gaps here. Things I, I have not known about yeah. you previously. It's answering some questions yeah. right there that we've already had. Like, yeah. <laughs> What what makes Nick tick? I like that. Uh, I'm sorry, Lombardi. What makes Lombardi tick? <laughs> Talk to I want to hear early on. So you said you were uh cleaning up some of your dad's properties, mowing, doing stuff like that. What was your dad's background? So my dad started in the um, newspaper industry. Okay. Um, and he was in the advertising side. And that really is the only part of a newspaper that makes any money. Um, it doesn't matter how brilliant of a writer you are, you still need the ad revenue to pay you. For sure. So um, he was um, uh, on uh, Cocoa Beach Today, which became USA Today. Um, and then he got out of that, got into advertising. Um, and if you've ever been to Destin, Florida, there's a resort there called San Destin. So he was doing advertising for those guys while they were developing it. And they came to him and said, we can't pay you. 
Um, we don't have the money. Um, but our golf course guy just left. If you can develop our golf course, we'll pay you. Oh, wow. So he's like, okay, I need money. Um, I'll figure this out. So we did. Um, and then he came out to Oklahoma um, with a company called uh, Jack Nicholson Associates, which was owned by Freitas, and uh, started doing golf course design. So worked on St. Andrews in upstate New York, worked on a bunch of Nicholas courses in California and Texas. And then the 80s happened, you know, and Oklahoma, um, growing up as a kid in the real estate industry in Oklahoma in the 80s, um, you saw good, bad, ugly, and worse. Mm. Um, we were redlined as a state. Um, no capital would come into Oklahoma, primarily because of the SNL crisis. Um, and, you know, that really didn't subside until the 90s. Mm. So Oklahoma had mm. this almost lost decade of activity, development. Um, and when your dad's in real estate and no, nothing's selling, um, you know, that was an interesting time to grow up. You know, I've heard some stories from my grandpa that was, he was a commercial Mason here in, here in Tulsa in the eighties. Um, and so he's, he's kind of told me some stories, uh, of, of what was going on. And I've heard some other stories from, uh, some, uh, one of, uh, the property managers we work with. She said that a ton of people left Tulsa, just left, just up and left. Yeah. And she was telling me actually that COVID whenever nobody was driving on the highways was the most similar. She had seen it to the eighties. Yeah. Um, I wonder why that was. I mean, where, where no did opportunity go? There was no opportunity. So people went to Dallas, Houston. They went sure. to the East Just West Coast. Larger areas. Yeah, um, where there was opportunity. Yeah. Um, I mean, growing up here in the in the 80s and 90s in Tulsa, downtown was tumbleweeds. Yeah. Um, literal tumbleweeds. Man, yeah. you had a crystal ball. Wow. You buy some property. Right. Oh, well, yeah. But I mean, Maurice Canbar thought he did that. And he spent $150 million on downtown Tulsa real estate. And then he sells it, what, five years ago, six years ago to the prices for a third of what he bought it for. 30 years ago. Oh, really? Yeah, I sold it for 52 million and change. But that when did he buy that? That, that was That was 90s. Okay. Was so 90s. that was before the real boom. I mean Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because Price mm. bought it really at the perfect time mm-hmm. before the upswing and they were part portion, you know, partially responsible for the upswing Correct. as well because I mean they did a great job of developing. Yeah. Um they were managing. Yeah. So yeah. um but even still, you look at that on a per square foot rate. Um I thought that was high. At the time when they bought and it. And it was dirt cheap. Yeah. But Cambar lost two-thirds yeah. of what he put into it. It's interesting. Mm. So I want to hear a little bit more about your dad, and then we'll jump to you. So, yeah. and I guess more of your upbringing. Was he, would you call him like a successful uh, real estate guy and development guy? Or was it more of he was just trying to make it, just trying to figure it out? It was hit and miss. Okay. Um, there were good years. There were bad years. Um, and that, that's kind of the industry as a whole, mm-hmm. uh, but he was always there. I mean, hell he coached basketball, baseball. Okay. Um, he was, um, uh, model father. So, yeah. um, um, but it, it wasn't easy. Yeah. It wasn't easy. Yeah. Cause what I'm trying to get at is like, what did it look like when you got started? Was it like, Hey, I've got a lot of capital to go or it was like, you're really yeah. starting from nothing. So my father was the real estate director for the city of Tulsa. Okay. Um, and he quit that job like in 04, Give yeah. take a little bit. Um, but he did all the acquisition for the BOK Center. He okay. did the acquisition for the ballpark, put in downtown TIFFs, did all that kind of stuff. I don't think there's anybody in the state that knows more about TIFFs and that process than, than my father. Very cool. Um, and so when he got out, I was getting out of school and I had two choices, you know, get a job um, or go to grad school. I got into, you know, everywhere I applied. And so I had that option, but I was so burned out, you know, Um Yep. I was, <laughs> I was sick of school. I, I, my undergrad was at Kansas. And so I was sick of the gray haired dreadlocked hippies that were still in Lawrence, you know, mm-hmm. I just couldn't take it anymore. Um, and so I said, yeah, 
um, let's figure out uh, what we can do. And I got two job offers, one from a guy who whose father owned mortuaries in Missouri and Kansas. And I'd have to go to mortuary school. Um, yeah. And then my dad came up uh, the weekend I turned 21. And he said, Stan Frisbee approached me and wants me to buy his company. Oh, wow. I'd like to do that, but I'm only going to do it if you come with me because, you know, this is a great opportunity for us. Wow. So I had the mortuary offer where people are dying for your business. Uh, <laughs> and then I had offer from my dad and um, I was the only one of my friends in high school who said they'd never come back to Tulsa. And then I was the only one who did. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so it was a lonely few years when I moved wow. back here, but um, one of the one of the better decisions I've ever made. And what year was that that you moved back? Oh, uh, six. Okay. Yeah. What did that portfolio look like whenever you guys purchased that? So um, Frisbee had about $100 million in listings, give yeah. or take a little bit. Um, he had a lot of old listings. Um, Frisbee represented a lot of foundations and institutional type owners. Um, we took that portfolio to $500 million in listings within... Oh, three to four years. Mm -hmm. um, and then just started working that. We had a non-development clause um, in our buyout agreement. So we, for 10 years, we couldn't develop. Um, Why is that? A um, couple of reasons. One, um, if you're a developer and you list properties, some folks always think you're competing against them. Got, got it. Um, and if the option's not good enough, you'll just buy it. That's or, exactly right. Or you won't sell it to that's them. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so... Um, there's a fine line in disclosures mm -hmm. and in just being honest and having integrity, which yeah. is, you know, harder, harder and harder to come by. Um, but we, uh, that was one of the reasons. Okay. Uh, primary reason. That's interesting. So I'm assuming that that portfolio has been good, but also you guys have built upon what mm -hmm. that portfolio was. And you're, like you said, a lot of those were old listings. So it's not like those are just going to sell themselves. I mean, you guys have to no. beat the streets to get those. To a degree, but I, I always say the only two things that move commercial real estate are infatuation and desperation. Mm -hmm. um, you got to either love the property and want to cut off your arm to get it, mm -hmm. or you have to be so desperate for it to either sell or buy that mm -hmm. you make a decision that perhaps you otherwise wouldn't make. Mm. Um, and those two things, you know, if they align, um, uh, moving some of those older properties is about timing, patience, and persistence. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. So let's talk about just real estate. And we were kind of talking earlier about like the value of a watch and like what actually makes, mm -hmm. why is it valuable? Mm -hmm. And I think it's similar and you brought this up. It's similar to the value of real estate. Real right. estate is the value of it is what someone's willing to pay. Right. So yeah. like, why, um, I guess let's just talk about the value of real estate in Tulsa and like how it's changed and what you expect it to do in the future. Yeah. So, um, well, re commercial real estate in particular, the value of it is based on the revenue. Okay, so shopping center, apartment complex, an office building, what is that property throwing off on an annual basis? Mm. For the most part, that's where value is derived. Okay. And then it comes into what discount rate are you applying to that revenue? Are you super aggressive? Are you super conservative? Are you going to apply a 12% discount rate to that revenue, that that's going to affect your net present value. And you're going to, if you really want to get wonky with numbers, you can back into a value that you know fits your risk threshold. Um, values in Tulsa have always, and not always, but in my career have been a little bit higher than people expected. We're closer to Dallas prices um, than we are to say Oklahoma City prices. Mm. Part of the reason is because Tulsa is much smaller mm. geographically. Mm. Um, you have six to seven corridors that people want to be in. And that's about it. Whereas you go to Oklahoma city, which is, you know, huge. Uh, absolutely huge. It's the 22nd biggest city in the country. And, you know, you can go to more, you can go to, um, 
even Kingfisher is part of the <laughs> part of the metro, metro area course, now. Yeah. So you have just a wider geographic area. Um, one of the things that is kind of interesting is that Tulsa has the exact same spending power as Oklahoma City with half the population. Hmm. And that is is kind of a good, you know, micro um, viewpoint on how to how to compare the two. Mm. You said you said discount rate for for those that aren't listening and myself. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by so discount, discount rate? Discount rate is how um, you are assessing future cash flows. Okay. So you are discounting that expected cash flow into the future, and the further you get into the future, the less it is. So the the uh, analogy that I always use is that a dollar today is worth more than two dollars tomorrow. Yep. Now that's not exactly right, but if you're applying eight percent discount rate mm-hmm. to cash flows in year five, year ten. If you're expecting $100,000 in year five, what's your that value today is, let's say, $85,000. Mm, yep. So you're discounting. So that discounted cash flow is how you determine the net present value of an asset. Mm, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Let's let's talk about, because your, your development company, mm-hmm. I, I want to hear how does that intersect with your real estate company? Like, And you talked about earlier about how it could be a kind of a conflict of interest. So how do you intersect those two? And like, what are you focused on in your development side? Right now, we have kind of two main areas of focus. One is a senior living development company where we're working on a project in Wichita. Um, it's independent living, basically single-family residences for sale. So we've got that broke ground on that 30 days ago. Awesome. Um, Congratulations. We'll, thank you. And we'll have uh, units for sale up there probably around, I'm hoping, July or August. Um, and then we're doing a, a food hall in Jinx uh, over by the aquarium right now. Um, I, I think to answer your question, how you separate the conflict of interest, um, is you go after things that you wouldn't necessarily go after on the brokerage side. Got it. So we, we try and silo those yeah. so that they don't overlap. Yeah. Now I'll tell you what my goal, particularly for the senior living deal is, is to get to a point where we're taking down 120, 160 acre tracks. I'm reserving 10 to 20 acres for commercial. And then I'll put a sign on them and wait and, you know, call, yeah. you know, call those coupons that we cash in, whatever yeah. side to. Yeah. So you say food hall. That's mm-hmm. a very just... Just a very Weird. nondescript thing. What is a what is the food hall you're developing? The idea for it is we're going to have both uh, traditional tenants that are you know restaurants, and then you also have sort of an incubator. Yeah, um, we're not like Blowback Taylor Foundation where we are really wanting to encourage entrepreneurs. And yeah, we're not going to take the time to do that. Yeah. but if you want to test out a concept, if you want to do something for three months, see if it works, and maybe go on to something better or stick around and refine it, we're your guys. Um, the big, the big thing that I'm excited for is we'll have a beer wall yeah. where you can get any kind of beer you want. Yeah. And, um, there's an exterior portion of this, right. That's kind of supposed to draw the, cause Correct. Yeah. yeah. Tell me a little more about that. I think what we're competing or not competing with, what we're part of is you've got Riverwalk that's to the North. Yeah. You've got the Simon outlet malls to the South. Yeah. You've got the aquarium right next door, which yeah. supposedly is the largest tourist attraction in the state. They get 450,000 people there a year. Uh, that's arguably I, I, I don't know. Strange. Yeah. No, no. I don't know I'm, I'm, I'm inheriting yeah. their marketing. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, one of the things that we're working on right is is a a rideshare type program awesome. to where on an app you can say I'm here, yeah. and the six person golf cart comes and picks you up. And if you're at let's say you're at Los Cabos and you want to go down to Very our cool. food hall, we'll pick you up, take you there. Awesome. If you want to go down to Simon and you know go to the Gap. Great. You can, you can do that. Yeah. And I think that whole area is just, uh, it's just ripe for development. I mean, it's, it's what Tulsa should be. It is. We, the, the idea, and I don't know if he came up with it, but he certainly supported it that Jim Enhoff, um, 
had in the 90s was let's narrow the Arkansas River. Let's bring a thousand acres out of the floodplain for round numbers sake. And let's bring that value to market. Yeah. And have high rises, have mid rises, have yeah. office apartments, retail, have a right, miracle right mile. on the river. Yeah, yeah. Have a miracle mile. That's yeah. Cool. It's really exciting. I mean, there's a yeah. lot of stuff going on. And I think with that, uh, finally the, the Alamo is getting back going. I think that there's going to be a lot of development in that area. There will be. You're also super interested in politics. So kind of tell me about your approach to politics and I don't think you're, who did you vote for? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> who did you vote for every single president since 1988? Please tell me that. No. So you don't have any plans of running for any type of office. That's not you. No. Right? No, okay, no so I've, I've got too many skeletons in my closet. Too I mean, many skeletons. Yeah, Donald, Donald Trump is a choir boy compared to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, hopefully you're not listening to FBI. <laughs> they don't care. You're not, you're not Donald Trump. Yeah, I'm not. Right. You. Uh, yeah, tell us about your approach to politics. Like, why are you interested in it? Um, what is your focus? And kind of tell me your thought process on that. Um, we go back to the beginning. So you go back to you know, 1776, uh, Federalist Papers, Constitutional Convention of 1789. Um, and then you look at what informed their thought process. Um, so you go back to Montesquieu, you go back to um, John Smith, you go um, to the foundational um, reasons for self-government, why um, and how. Um, and so if you start with that basis, um, then you don't have to worry about really a lot that happens in between. Um, human, humans have a tendency to fall into one of two camps those who acquire and use power um, and then those that complain about it. Mm, that's good. <laughs> so that's good. And so um, you've always got to watch the people that want power. Um, I, I'm of the mindset that if you want an office, you should be automatically disqualified for it um, because wanting to be in that position of power mm. belies a certain greed mm. or a certain um, avarice um, that I don't think is necessarily acceptable. Um the, the, the founders were, for the most part, all successful in their own right, um, or all had things to do. They didn't have to be there. Correct. Um, they, in fact, most of them lost more um, than they actually got. Mm. Um, of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, you had multiple who lost family members during the revolution, mm. lost businesses, become bankrupt, destitute. Um, Jefferson is one of the few guys who was unscathed um, during, the, during the entire thing. But they sacrificed. You know, they didn't have to do that. They had much more to gain by um, staying where they were than they did by declaring independence. And so if you look at that humility, um, that's why, and you know, religion and politics are two things you should never discuss. But um, I, that's why I think religion is important for people, not what you believe or, or you know, what denomination you are, um, but that you appreciate something beyond yourself. Mm. That's humility. That's good. Um, and you have someone else to answer to. Mm. When we answer to ourselves, we're usually pretty greedy about it. Mm. Um, and oh, you don't mind if you have that extra drink. You don't mind if you roll the dice a few more times. Um, you'll take chances that you otherwise wouldn't. But mm. if you answer to something beyond yourself, um, you have uh, more accountability. Mm. That's really good. So so you're very much against like the career politician as well. Oh, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Do yeah. your time in Washington. Think of it as of conscription. You know, you serve in the army. Mm -hmm. two, three, five years, whatever. Yeah. And then you go back and be a productive member of yeah. society. Yeah. You know, I, mm -hmm. I was a police officer for a while yeah. and I consider my time more like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I've, since I've left, I've really been a believer of, we've got to get back to a model where you're not just a police officer for 30 years because 
they get so burned out. It is ridiculous. They deal with such hard things and it's a toxic environment. And I wish there was more of a, um, you know, because if you're in the army or in the military, every four years, you you'll resign, you'll, Mm -hmm. you'll sign back up if you want to continue to do it, or you'll go do something else. And if there was some kind of model like that in police, where it's like, okay, I've done my four years. Let's see if I'm still going to do it for more. But so many of them, they're only doing it because like, as far as employment, you have an FOP. It is the safest position you could possibly have as far as employment. You will never get fired for anything. We've, That's right. We've seen that. That's like government employees. And it's, I, service union. it's not, I don't think it's a positive thing. Like it's also indicative of how our education system has changed. We used to value a broad liberal education, mm-hmm. you know, have um, skill sets in mathematics and science and writing and, you know, whatever else, have a broad understanding of the world and of history and of, you know, our place in it. We have in the past 30, 50 years have really focused on specialization mm-hmm. um, and talk about it in the real estate industry. You've got folks who only do office mm-hmm. or only do retail. And they are completely, they've got blinders on to other parts of the industry. Hmm. And the reality is, is that um, single family residential has an impact on office. Yeah. It has an impact on retail. Yeah. If you don't understand how each of those segments of the industry work, yeah. you don't appreciate the broader yeah. impact. And and with, with careers the same way, you've always got to be doing something different. Yeah. And we haven't encouraged people to do that. We haven't encouraged people to yeah. know, take, take some yeah. risks. I'll respectfully disagree, Lombardi, because <laughs> I feel like, today the youths of today the, youths, gonna, the, the, the street youths, youths youths of today um <laughs> like they don't have any specialty they're <laughs> they're not good at anything because they've not focused on anything if that makes sense like i i feel like the successful portions of society right now or the ones that are saying i'm gonna go get my um i'm gonna go to med school i'm gonna go to law school i'm good like those are the people who are doing well the engineers like they're it, earning money but are they doing anything I don't know, but for some, not everybody can do something greater than themselves, right? That's true. We're not all called to be Lombardi to, <laughs> to create something out of nothing, right? There's people who, um, that's the best they're going to do. And that's, that's okay. That's what they want to do. That's what they want to do. And yeah. that's okay. That's true. Um, but there's so many people without a clear direction and they don't understand that they can specialize in being an HVAC worker or a plumber <laughs> or an electrician. They don't realize that's a possibility because that's never been shown to them, if that makes sense. Yeah, no. Like, get, get, get a little bar, look at a liberal arts degree and go to grad school. I mean, yeah, that's what they should be doing. Well, yeah. well, what do you think about the difference in ideology and it's society's responsibility to fix society's problems versus it's the individual's responsibility to fix the individual's problems? Because those are two completely different approaches. Yeah, and it always starts with the individual. Mm. Um, as as Madison said, um, if men were angels, we wouldn't need government. Yeah. Um, you start with yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, hopefully. Yeah things will follow. Would yeah. you tell that uh, that Watcher's story and or paraphrase? Sure. So when Plato wrote down what Socrates said, um, there was a young man in the audience when Socrates asked, how do we manage society? How do we govern ourselves? Um, how do we make sure that we don't fall into tyranny or despotism? Um, and those aren't his exact words, but it's paraphrased. Yeah. Um, there was a young man who said, well, we appoint these Watchers and they are going to be the paragons of virtue and they are going to make sure that no one murders, no one rapes, no one steals. Um, and we're going to entrust them as a society to order it for us. And so Socrates, his glib response was, well, who watches the watchers? Mm. And that is uh, a question we've been wrestling with for a few thousand years. Yeah. It's a who is that? Yeah. Um, 
you know, in, in our system of government, it's the citizen. Yeah. You know, it's the citizen's job. And you might be able to say the fourth estate, the press. Yeah. The, the press, it's their job to keep those in power. Yeah. 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 You know, I think mm. I think it's an interesting um, thought because you have it seems like the watchers that we have today are extremists to one side or the other. Does that make sense? Like or they or they benefit from the system itself. Correct. So there's no incentive to actually do their job, to mm-hmm. actually to watch. Yeah. Or the watchers are just um, politically motivated to where they're just whatever the other side is doing, that's wrong. Yeah. Right. And yeah. or they're it, or they're lazy. Or they they get lazy. talking points from somebody else and they parrot them and then they move on. It's very interesting. Yeah. I, I think that concept on paper is correct. I don't know how it actually plays in reality, but I, I do think there is a certain aspect of um there's always something against you. And so you're not going to be able to do like, I feel like the extremists are always going to be tough to have absolute power because the other side is pushing so hard against it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that makes sense. And, and there's a, I think in our society in particular, there's always a push to moderation, but I always go back to what PT Barnum said. No one ever lost money underestimating the taste of the American public. Um, and he was exactly right. And, and you go to the lowest con denominator and yeah. usually we fall pretty dark close to that. That's interesting. So I saw something last week that I thought was really interesting. And with NAOP, which is an organization that you and you and I are both involved with, we went to Washington, mm-hmm. D.C. and we got to talk to people in Congress and Senate. And we talked with Langford and, mm-hmm. and Mullins. And say what you will about these guys, but they are representing us as Oklahomans. And whatever party you're you're with, they are representing you. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they're doing a good job. Um, but what I thought was interesting was with the bank failure, um, Langford got up and mm-hmm. it was a big big story he said um you know they were they were talking about bailing out the company or bailing out the the bank and they were insuring more than what the fdic limited which is an interesting concept and langford said what about the hometown bank Mm -hmm. if the if one of our banks in oklahoma goes under Mm -hmm. are you guys going to do the same thing you just did with svb Mm -hmm. and i think that's a a legitimate question but he's asking a question that we're asking right? right like the people in california the the policymakers of California, they're not asking that question. They don't no. care. No. They, they haven't been to they haven't <laughs> been there in ages, right? But Langford, he still feels what the people are feeling. And I think that's interesting. And when we talked with him, I mean, he he was asking his questions. You can go every Wednesday morning and you can have Java yeah. with James. That's right. You can sit down and have a coffee with James Langford. Yeah. That's right. Every single Wednesday. And who's who's his neighbor in, in Washington? Is he still in the Rayburn building? Yes. Yeah. Um, the last time I was there, it was Elizabeth Warren. And it was yeah. really funny to watch the difference between the front of his office and the front of her yeah. office. <laughs> and they're so accessible. They're more accessible than you would believe. I don't know. I can't speak for the other politicians, but I know for a fact our guys are. All you have yeah. to do is ask for a meeting. Yeah. Go get coffee with him. He's going to listen to the question you have. Yeah. And he has to answer for it. Like, I think that's how it has to be. That's but true. as a whole, we're not there. No. Right? And, um, you know, going back to community banks, midsize regional banks. That's fifty percent of business lending in yeah. this country. That's eighty yeah. percent of commercial loans. Yeah, um, that's a big chunk of the economy. Yeah, and you know most people aren't getting a line of credit at Bank of America for yeah. their business. Yeah, and speaking on SVB, like they were, uh, you know, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm assuming that part of their problems was they were 
they were giving out loans and they were extending lines of credit that were more risky than others. I'm I'm only assuming that because of the type of businesses. Well, they, they also had to. they had a disparate um, horizon on the maturation of their T bills that yeah. they were putting money in yeah. and their need for capital. They were making decisions that were more risky. Let's just assume that. Well, but, but, but everybody was doing. But, it. but a T bill in 2021 risk free. It's it's risk free money. Yeah. yeah. Every every economist tells you put your money in T bills. Yeah. It's risk free. The problem that they had was that the maturation of those T bills and when they needed to get cash did not line up. Yeah. Same thing would have happened if any other bank got ran. Uh, same thing would have happened. It yeah. just happened to be Silicon Valley. And I think it was. I, I looked it up after we had 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 the podcast the other day. It was legitimately a guy was you know digging through the footnotes and all the the financial uh, filings and was like, hey, these guys don't have the money, and that's what initially sparked the run. Isn't that amazing? It's, it's public crazy. information. Yeah. We have like these people who are paid millions and millions of dollars, these executives, and they're making poor decisions. And it's it's a wild thought that even the people who are at the very very top, they don't make great decisions. Like decision making is it's so important it's so crazy and it's amazing how many bad decisions are made well it ties in it's a it's a microcosm of your comments on government you have a board of directors yeah okay 10 12 maybe 30 people tops it's just like congress you know they they don't necessarily know the business that they're in charge yeah, of running they're sure perhaps they're there for the right reasons or the wrong yeah. but you know they make they make decisions that have impact um and the quality of those decisions comes into question what do you think about the ridiculously large amount of unrealized losses that banks are now facing with these treasuries that they bought in 2021 after the well, historic rate they, hikes. They're unrealized. You know, if you talk to the federal government, they're going to say, well, social security is not a liability because it's an unrealized expense. So it's never on the balance sheet. So you don't realize a loss until you sell. Yep. So I, you know, you can you can play the government speak on that where, well, we, you know, it's not 2030. We don't have to worry about the social security payouts because we're not there yet. As a bank, you can make the same argument that, well, we haven't sold our treasuries yet. So we haven't realized, you know, and it's not really a loss at that point. You're just not getting as much as you otherwise could. Mm. Right. So that's like the gambler who who, you know, you're betting with five dollar blackjack, you start winning, then you start playing 10. Yeah. And you start losing and you go back to five and you start yeah. thinking, well, I'm losing money because I'm not getting 10 anymore. Huh. But it is a negative real yield as as related to inflation too. Correct. No, it is. And you've got to balance those different segments of the economy. I mean, that's yeah. what we struggle with in real estate with cap rates and the cost of construction, the cost of capital. Yeah. Um, cap rates are still, for good assets, sub six. You're not going to get capital anywhere in the world at sub six rates. Yeah. So what's bridging that gap? Mm. Yeah, that's good. You know, some earlier you said was, you know, the uh, sacrifice, like it's, it's so important with politics and and what you mentioned was religion. And that's, I 100% believe that mm -hmm. everybody has to have something bigger than themselves that they believe in. And um, I think that is missing with a, um, with a lot of people, but you have to have something that you sacrifice for. Like, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm reading a lot of um, uh, John, John Holiday, which is, mm -hmm. He's big on the Stoics mm -hmm. and, you know, one of the big, big things that he talks about is, you know, everything in moderation, right? <laughs> Anything out of moderation is not right. Mm -hmm. I mean, just, it's, it's not healthy for us to have anything more than, and we have to limit ourselves, right? right. More of anything is most likely not good. That's right. Um, so I think that's an interesting. Now, my, my grandmother was a Stoic, so I, oh, I, really? um, I, 
was born a stoic i think so yeah <laughs> i, I love that. that we've got five questions here okay tyler would you please lay I'll out the ground rules here. listen we've had some guys come on here in the lightning round they've they've had like three or four minutes for these questions <laughs> um so these are like like three words or less Three words or less, just the first thing that comes to your mind, answer it. And then the last question will be more of an open end. We'll have a discussion. Okay. Yep. Fair enough. Okay. Okay. Question number one What is one thing that you do outside of your business that allows you to be successful in your business? Read. Love that. What time do you wake up and get your day started in the morning? Depends on the day, but anywhere between six and eight o'clock in the morning. Do you love to win or do you hate to lose? Love to win. Love that. Who is one person that supported you from the very beginning? Uh, my parents. It's important to have some fun in your life. So what do you do for fun? Not as much as I used to, um, but uh, play guitar, play video games, read, uh, throw the football in the backyard with a, with a little guy. Sweet. Awesome. And then last one here, we'll open this up for a little bit more discussion. What are you currently speaking into existence? What are you wanting to create in your life, in your business, personally, professionally moving forward? It's a very insightful question. Um, I appreciate that. Um, and that's me stalling because I'm not really sure. Yes, I love that. Here. That was another. That was another one of our guests. He kept on saying, that's a great question. Yeah. And he's like, I'm realizing I'm saying that's a great question because I'm not sure I answered it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll tell you one thing that I'm doing. So I'm an adjunct professor at OU and I teach Very real cool. estate to architecture and design and uh, some business students. Um, I'm trying to develop an appreciation for where we all fall in the pecking order. Um, architects and designers, uh, construction guys, brokers, whoever, tend to think that the world revolves around them. Um, but I think the earlier you get an understanding of where you are in the, in the supply chain, for lack of a better term, mm. um, the easier it is not only to do that well, um, but to have a broader appreciation for the industry you work Interesting. in. Interesting. Oh, I like that. So bringing a, yeah. a little bit of humility to, uh, well, to the industry. Perhaps. And, and a lot of the folks that uh, are my students end up being city planners, Interesting. urban planners. And okay. so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get them to appreciate when you're implementing zoning codes, when you're implementing these regulations that developers, owners. Who does it affect? Yeah, exactly. And, and can you keep that in mind? That's good. And can you perhaps have a softer hand? Yeah. And so I'm assuming you're having that thought because of some experiences you've had. Of course. And so what are those experiences? Why are, um, why is that something that you're preaching? Um, well, I think the biggest issue is that most folks in the real estate industry who are in the service side of it, you know, architects, general contractors, brokers, whoever, don't realize the work that a developer has to do to go from A to Z <clears throat> on a project. And usually it comes down to capital. And who has skin in the game? Who's actually risking? Yeah. If, if I'm a designer and I'm, I'm giving someone a quote for 5% of project cost, okay, am I providing that value? Or am I just getting a fee? Yeah, um, for and, sure. And is it really worth that five percent? For sure, it's probably only worth ten grand, fifteen grand, yeah. and you got to appreciate that unless mm. you're actually providing value. It's interesting. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. It's kind of like landscaping. Yeah, it's the first thing that gets cut. Yeah, because trees don't add value. <laughs> Correct. I mean, they, <laughs> they do, but I mean, yeah, <laughs> they do to a certain degree. But yeah, after a certain point, it's like yeah, there's a point of diminishing returns. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, we've we've had that discussion a lot uh, because you know we're a newer company. We're only four years old. We're, we're in an industry with companies that are 20, 30, 50 years old. Mm -hmm. And so we have to bring someone something that somebody else is not, right. right? Or else we shouldn't be in business. That's right. And so we talked about that a lot. How do we do what we're doing, but provide value so that they can feel it? Mm -hmm. That it, it doesn't cost us a lot of money, but we're doing something extra that people realize, okay, other people aren't doing this. Like, That's right. This is valuable, right? Yeah. 
And, and we've looked at that and like, what does that look like? And how do we, you know, how does the client feel whenever we do the certain thing? And, mm-hmm. um, it's definitely something we've thought about. Um, yeah, that's good. Well, I can tell you how, how, how we do it with our business on the brokerage side. Love to hear it. One of it is by, you know, actually providing financial analysis on absolutely and saying, okay, if you do this, this is what it would be compared to another, you know, transaction that you're dreaming of. That's good. And then how, how long would you have to wait? Yeah. You know, I, for, for a family, um, about two years ago, I did a, a cash flow analysis that said, look, this is the number you want. And I, I'm telling you, we're probably five years away. If you got that number in five years versus selling today, you're at the same exact part or the same exact number Interesting. Um, as far as present value is concerned. Interesting. And so that's that time value of money. Yeah, equation. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. And I, we, we know another broker who, um, who thinks similar to what you're mm-hmm. thinking, but we've also seen a lot of brokers who don't have that mindset. Um, and it's interesting because you work for the same fees that these other, mm-hmm. most of the other brokers do, mm-hmm. but a lot of them aren't providing that value. No. And so it's interesting. And I'm assuming that's why you've been successful is because people feel the difference, well, right? You, you can always tell when, when someone says, what's my fee? That's their first question. You know that's somebody you don't want to work with. Correct. Um, that should be the last or second to last question. Yeah. Um, because you shouldn't even be thinking about that. You should think, how can I be integral to this process? Yeah. I was uh, just having a conversation with uh, a guy the other day, earlier this week, and um, we were kind of having a conversation, not specifically about this, but kind of about this, where, you know, along the process, let's say a client, whether they're a developer or, you know, maybe somebody that's just building a one-off building or something like that, they're going to go through a process of, you know, and I don't know maybe what happens all before they get to the part where they're looking for land, but mm-hmm. they're going to work with a broker. They're going to work with, you know, an architect or designer. They're going to maybe work with a property management company mm-hmm. before before we ever get to, to the table, you know, or, you know, maybe at the same time that we're getting to the table as a general contractor. And then everything that happens after that to, to run and manage and operate their property. Um, and we were kind of having the conversation of, you know, strategically aligning with other professionals that mm-hmm. that will touch that client along their process. Mm-hmm. And then how can we all get together to provide a really great process for the client mm-hmm. so that ev- so that everybody wins? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like to, to your point, kind of being aware of where you're at in that supply chain mm-hmm. um, so that you can best serve the people ahead of you. Mm-hmm. And and behind you that are coming after. Yeah, so I think that's just that's yeah. none other than just stewarding where yeah. we're at in the process and understanding it. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's good. Yeah. I got one more question about real estate and uh, what you do, and then I want to talk about something personal, and then okay. then we'll let you go. We want to respect your time, <laughs> Fair enough. Um Let's say a young uh, young real estate, mm-hmm. someone who's interested in real estate, comes mm-hmm. to you to say, "Hey, I want to do what you're doing, Lombardi. Mm-hmm. You're yeah. killing it. I see your sign everywhere. Mm-hmm. The way you carry yourself." What is the advice that you give someone like that? Read. I read two hours a day, um, at least every day. Um, our industry changes so rapidly and it affects one fifth of the economy. So it's touching almost everything. Um, you can never be too sharp. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing. And, you know, the, the learning never stops. You know, it's kind of a trite phrase, but it's true. I mean, you're only as good as your last deal. Um, and you're only as good as what you bring to the party. And the way that I do that, or I try to do that is by being as up to speed as I can on the, the breadth of the industry. Is that, uh, is that like current events, news type reading, wall street journal type reading or yeah, there, what there's kind of industry reading? publications, um, and, and staying, staying abreast of what's happening from a local perspective, a state perspective, national perspective. Yeah. Cause those things matter. They yeah. do. Well, and, and real estate itself is probably the most favored industry with the tax code. 
Okay. Yeah. So a lot of decisions are based on that. Yeah. Um, I always like the, the story that, uh, Steinbrenner who owned the Yankees died in the perfect year because it was the only year that he could have died in where his kids got the Yankees without having to pay an inheritance tax. Interesting. And so can you imagine uh, the inheritance tax on that? Oh, you have to sell it. I mean, this is what farmers are dealing with. Yeah. If, if you have a farm, let's say it's 1200 acres and you know, you die, your kids want to operate it. They can't afford to come out of pocket with the tax liability of inheriting that property. Isn't there some ways to get around that, putting it like in a trust and there are, there yeah. are, and those, those are constantly changing. Yeah. It's like 1031 yeah. and you know, all, all of the provisions yeah. tax code. Yeah, this is not legal or no, advice, no, it is so not. Please do not. Please consult your professional. Please consult yeah. professionals. <laughs> but We're, you can buy Bitcoin, though. <laughs> we are professionals, but not in tax or law. Um, so I think that's interesting that you said about the the reading, and I I agree, and I think reading um, and learning like it builds confidence in yourself, right? Yes. Um, because if you go into a conversation with um, someone about what you're doing and They've also talked to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Like that confidence matters so much. It does. And the things you say matter. They do. And if they talk to both competitors, one after the other, who are they going to go with? What? It, it definitely matters. You can't just say, I well, think I could maybe, um, yeah. I don't know, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, you're not getting the job, brother. And it, in our world, <laughs> it's so just fiercely competitive. It is. And it's just, it's... Uh, the difference between the two is so small. Mm-hmm. So we might as well be reading. And well, and some people don't want to hear the truth. Yeah. You can't make them. You know, um, yeah. I lost out on a deal um, oh, two weeks ago where I said, look, this is a sleepy property. Yeah. This is going to be a matter of returning phone calls, yeah. being persistent. Yeah. This is not something that Starbucks is going to call me up and yeah. say, we want to be here. We yeah, have yeah. to be here. And I, I was honest. I said, look, yeah. this is going to be a, a war of attrition. Yeah. And that's the reality. Yeah. Who'd you lose out to? We'll go slash their time. Um, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. And I, I don't care. I mean, I, I would. No, we I, do. Party. <laughs> we care for you. Hey, I got a vowel on the end of my name. I got guys who do that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, um, I love the, that. Uh, I, I sleep better at night if I am honest 100% of the time. Yeah. And it's like Mark Twain said, you know, um, if, you, if you don't lie, you don't have to remember anything. That's true. And um, yeah, yeah. That, that helps me sleep at night. That, that's a healthy way to live. I love that. I love that quote. That's a really good quote, you yeah. know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, me and another guy were in an interview the other day and it just went really well. Like we felt really good leaving it mm-hmm. yesterday and, you know, we left and we've got a lucky charm here at the office. We do. <laughs> He's, he walks around in favor everywhere he goes <laughs> and he was, he was there and he didn't say a word, but he just, he just has favor all over him. But the interview went great. And I don't know if we're going to get the job, but I know we did everything we possibly could to get it. That's right. And we represented ourselves exactly like I wanted to. And if they go with us, it means that they're in line with what we want to do. Yeah, that's right. And if they don't go with us, it's because someone else was in line. Yeah. And that's okay. That's fine. The times that I'm upset is whenever we didn't represent ourselves the way that we wanted to. That's right. And you're playing catch up the yes. entire time. And, and, yeah. and we're trying to defend something or we're, tr- we're trying too hard. Yeah. We weren't trying too hard. We did exactly what we needed to do yeah. and we feel like we're a good fit, but if they don't feel like we're a good fit, then we don't need to be doing business together because it's not going to work. And it boils right? down to kind of the dirty phrase that no one likes to talk about, but it's managing expectations. Yeah. That's what it is. So the next question, which is just, you're just 
I mean, you're just right on my level. Cause the next question I was going to ask was, what are you reading? So you just answered the, the answer, the question that you answered was you like to read and yeah. you're reading a lot. So what are you reading? Well, I can tell you the best news aggregator out there is citizens free press. Citizens free press. And it's, it's like drudge report used to be. Okay. Um, and so I check citizens free press probably 200 times a day. Oh, wow. For- updated news uh, 200 times a day let's it, fact check yeah, that mm. wow yeah please mm. don't because i'm i, I yeah, don't want to know what the real answer is oh my god yeah oh, wow. um but it's that news aggregator you know keeps things okay. uh, front and center okay. um but then you know reading industry journals um okay. business local getting getting as many nuggets that you can every day so you're reading mostly current events politics yeah industry news yeah you're not reading for you're not reading for entertainment no okay no i hate fiction um it's it's not real um don't waste my time yeah um i I love history i love biographies awesome um but no it's a good but what's the best biographies you've read um there's a new one that came out that is about um the war between cato and caesar interesting rome um and how they both had different ideas to save the republic and how their feud ended up destroying rome um and ending the republic period and going into empire um that uh, roman and greek you know there's nothing new under the sun right so something that happened a thousand years ago is probably happening today um and seeing it from that historical perspective sometimes boils it down a little bit Mm. um so it's more most basic Mm. and that that's yeah i was reading um i got an email today um it's a stoic email i get it was talking about how um there was a plague that hit Rome mm-hmm. and they didn't know how to deal with it. So they, they had incense burning outside their houses mm-hmm. and they thought that that was going to keep the, <laughs> keep the disease away. Mm-hmm. It didn't. No. Right. And, but what, um, I forget what the, who the writer was, but, and I'll remember it when I get done here, but the writer was saying that this disease was bad, but what was even worse was the after effects of it. The, the fear the anxiety, mm. the laziness, mm. the all of the things that sounds familiar. It sounds very familiar. <laughs> Again, mm. nothing new under the sun. Nothing mm. new under the sun. And that's exactly what he said. He said, guys, COVID was bad. Mm-hmm. COVID was bad. It is bad. But there's more dangerous things than COVID. That's right. Right. And we need to be watching out for those things. We need to examine ourselves and say, what how have we changed in the last three years? Yeah. Have we have we gotten numb to things? Have we um, have we killed relationships just for the sake of who knows? Like, are we just being petty? Like, how are we dealing with people? How are we dealing with ourselves? What are some habits that we've formed over the last three years that are toxic that we need to get rid of? Yeah. Um, those are way more dangerous than COVID. Yeah. Like, I mean, just like what you were saying earlier, I mean, it's like, look in the mirror. We've got to, we've got to identify who we are and what, what's, what, you know, what's wrong with us so that mm-hmm. we can improve ourselves, which I think in the aggregate mm-hmm. and improves everything. It, it should should yeah should right it's much easier depends on how you define yeah. better right, right. who, who is defining better down. sure uh, but i mean you could look at the breadth of history um people were having kids while the mongols were invading you know yeah. west asia um people were having kids during plagues yeah the black death and yeah we find a way to go on you yeah know, you can call us cockroaches or you can call us whatever you humans, want but human humans yeah. keep they keep going and you know what i think is interesting is humans that are, are at their best when their backs are against the wall they are and so I think there's danger in being too comfortable. 100%. And putting yourself in situations that's risky, mm-hmm. that's just an, and there's an inherent risk, I think is healthy for us. It is. Because it causes us to be at our best. I will tell you something funny about my students. Um, so I teach about 20 students a semester. They are so risk adverse. Yes. Um, 
and I, I keep telling you've got to get outside yourself and you've got to take one risk and just just try it just do something crazy yeah jaywalk jaywalk yes ways but jaywalk um yeah and and you've got a life is not going to work for somebody for 30 years getting a pension and then retiring to florida yeah that's not life yeah there's no fun there yes there's no fun there you know that's that's made for a small segment of society it is but we've got to at least be aspiring for more yeah right yeah and find out have to find out yes um take that risk and if you don't like it and you want to go crunch numbers and you know, retire at 55, have at it, go do but it, but at least try it. You know, and yeah, I, I had a conversation with someone the other day and, um, I like to respectfully disagree with people in conversation. <laughs> I think it's healthy things. Um, but he was saying something about how, you know, I just, I just want to live my life and, you know, go home and sit on my couch and watch three hours of TV <laughs> and start it up the next day and, and take no risks. Um, but the, the real question, it was like a, would you have rather have this or the other? And he said, would you rather have just this life? That's just really easy. You take no risks. There's no great reward. You just live your life, comfortable life. And you get to the end and you die. Or would you rather take great risk? You're going to have a great reward, but you're going to feel a lot of pain in the meantime, which one would you rather have? And I, and what I told him, and I'll let you answer this. I told him, we don't get that chance. We're going to feel pain one way or the other. You're going to feel pain because you're sitting like a vegetable on your, your couch and you're struggling and you're, uh, you are not going to not feel pain is what I'm saying. So you might as well feel pain going forward and doing things that you actually like that you're actually called to do instead of just, just mediocrity. Like mediocrity is a standard. Yeah. What is your thoughts on that? Nick Um, Lombardi? (laughs) (laughs) Um, no, you've got to push yourself. Um, and that's one of the hardest things, you know, we talked about hiring and firing people earlier. Um, self-starters, they are very difficult to find. Yeah. Um, and people who understand what you're trying to do and are willing to take responsibility for actions that further that, um, I, you, as a business owner, you struggle with, well, why did they do that? You know, why did they wait to ask me when the answer is so obvious? Part of it as business owners is failing to train them properly. The other part of it is no one wants to take a risk and no one wants to be held accountable for a bad decision. I would rather somebody took a risky position, you know, within reason. Um, and we had to kind of scramble to do it. Um, then to kind of say, Oh no, sitting on your hands, sitting on your hands. Yeah. And you know, there's a lot to be said for the kind of pioneer attitude for sure. Yeah. We talk about all the time. We're going to fail forward. Like that's right. If we fail, it's because we, we had the concrete scheduled and, uh, you know, they showed up and it started raining. We're not going to fail because we didn't schedule the concrete and they end up being five days late because that's right. we were hoping that it didn't rain. That's, right. that's not going to be us. That's right. We're going to have the concrete trucks on site. And if it rains, we'll tell them to go home and we may take a, hit, a little hit, but we're being aggressive. And if we're aggressive all the time, we're going to have some small hiccups, yeah. but we're going to be okay. Yeah. But the, you know, the mistakes of inaction Mm-hmm. are inexcusable. Oh, yeah. And well, it's, I mean, th- then you, you run into to living a life without fulfillment and, you know, you've asked me this several times on the podcast and I've had this definition in my mind and I never say it success. I would define as the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. This is from Earl Nightingale. Mm-hmm. If you're familiar, mm-hmm. um, the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. So we're making progress. We're progressively realizing this goal. And if you don't progressively realize or take steps and take ground in that direction every day or every week, whatever, depending on what the goal is, man, I mean, 
what does that feel like? I mean, then you're just sitting in stagnant water. I mean, and what grows in stagnant water, you know, (laughs) what's healthier, a a flow, a flowing stream or, you know, sitting nasty, dirty pond. And if you're not, if you're not progressively realizing a worthy ideal, man, you're just growing, you're just growing muck. Mm -hmm. Nasty. Not good. We don't want muck. That's right. We want, don't want that. No, we don't, (laughs) man. Lombardi, it's been great. Yeah, you know, of I've, Thank you I've got a ton Appreciate of respect it. for you. You carry yourself like no one else, and it's just you just you have class and just professionalism oozing <laughs> out of your pores, <laughs> and I just love it. I, every time I see, you, I'm like, what kind of time piece you wearing? Because you just you just have fantastic watches and well, just love it. Love everything about your style and everything you do. It was interesting to learn too that you were a tailor at one point, yeah, as well. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it shows. It shows. <laughs> um, okay. So for our millions of listeners, I don't know if you know, but we're, so there's Joe Rogan and then there's us. Okay. We are the number one podcast yeah. in Midtown Tulsa. Okay. Run by a construction. Well, I don't have to call my booking agent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know that. That's right. <laughs> uh, so for our millions of listeners, how do they find Lombardi? Um, do a Google search on Nick Lombardi, Tulsa, Oklahoma. You'll find all kinds of fun stuff in there. Um, you can also go to frisbeelombardi.com. Um, and uh, you can call me at 918-344-9904. Wow. Links will be down <laughs> in the description. <laughs> That's awesome. Lombardi, thanks so much for joining no us. No problem. Thank you. Guys, thank you so much for listening in to the Podchmer Podcast. We will catch you guys next time.